Good morning, family. My name is Ben. I'm one of the elders here, but more importantly, I am I'm one of God's kids. I'm part of God's family, and I'm part of this family. And I am just really thankful to be a part of this family. There's a lot that goes into that statement, but I just want you to know I'm really thankful that I'm here in Tacoma and that this is my church family. And so we're going to actually begin a series in the book of Ephesians this morning, an eight-week series. And it's going to be a normal expository uh, series like we do where we go chapter by chapter through the book of Ephesians. It's going to be more of a flyover of the book, and we'll dip in at certain places. And, and the title of this series is Essentials from Ephesians, Being the Church in Tacoma. And as we approach this series, I just want to put a, a visual in your mind. Um, in the Midwest, they get really bad blizzards. They, they would kind of laugh at the snow we had a couple of weeks ago with smugness. Right? That wasn't snow. But they get really bad blizzards that are so bad that sometimes you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And people will walk out of their houses to their barn or their shed or whatever and get lost on the way back. And people have actually been found dead feet from their house because they couldn't find their house. And so what they will often do is tie a rope to the door or to the front of their house so that when they go out in the blizzard and all the disorientation and all of the, the blindness they can't see, they have this tether at their house that enables them to find their way back. And what this series is, is a tether it's a tether. We, we are living in a blizzard in our culture, right? We're, we're living in the blizzard of a pandemic that has disoriented us for two years. We're living still in the blizzard of postmodern moral relativism. We're, we're living in a blizzard of confusion about gender and sex and marriage. We're, we're living in a blizzard of constant racial tension and racism and, and lots of ideas about how we should solve that problem. And, and it would be really easy as a church in that blizzard to become disoriented, to wander around. And we need a tether. We need a tether. And this series is born out of the elders asking the question, what, what's the tether? Like, what, what are the essentials that we're going to hold on to that will stabilize us in the middle of the blizzard. And so we opened the book of Ephesians and we read through the entire book together and we just asked the question, what, the, the book of Ephesians is often called the constitution of the church. So Paul, like in no other epistle in the book of Ephesians, lays out what, what are the core central elements of what it looks like to be the church. And so we asked that question, and this series is born out of the answer to that question. So in this series, we're not going to answer the question, what, what are the essentials of being a Christian? That's, that's another series altogether. And in this series, we're not going to talk about even Soma Tacoma's philosophy of ministry, per se. That's, a, that's another series altogether. What we're talking about is, what does it look like to be a vibrant, healthy church in Tacoma. And the first essential today that we're going to talk about is hopefully one we can all agree on, and that is we are committed to being God-centered. God-centered. That sounds like kind of a no-brainer, right? We're a Christian church that preaches the gospel of Jesus. We're God-centered. So why emphasize it? Why start with this reality that we are committed to being a God-centered church. And, and in one sense, the reason this is so important is this is the essential of all essentials. Like, this is the middle strand in that tether, if you will. Everything else fails or succeeds based on this one essential. If God is not explicitly and intentionally the center of our church, then someone or something else will be. If, if God is not the center, we will invariably try to make our church famous in this city. And that is the last thing this city needs. 
This city needs churches that will be, be about making God himself famous. If God himself as a person is not at the center of the gospel, we'll talk about that more in a minute, then our gospel will be deficient. Our discipleship will be oppressive, discouraging. And so this is essential. It is absolutely critical that we not only say we're God-centered, but that we pursue it, that we keep moving towards. What does it look like to be a church that is centered on a person, centered on God himself? And what's true of our church is true of every one of our lives. So we're not just, when we talk about the church, we're talking about us, right? The church is people. The church is you. And so in order for this church to be centered on God, it involves all of us as God's people moving towards God and asking the question, what, is it, what does it look like to live God-centered lives? So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to try to answer the question using Ephesians, what does it look like to be committed to God-centeredness? And I'm going to do something that's rarely done in the 21st century, but was done all the time in the early church. I'm going to read the entire book of Ephesians this morning. Don't panic. I have tried to shorten my sermon to make up for it. It will be the best 20 minutes of your day. There has never been a time that I've sat down and read a whole book of the Bible, especially with God's people, and left saying, that was a waste of time. So settle in, open your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. If you have a different version and it distracts you, then I just welcome you to listen. But if you'd like to follow along, I invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 1. So as we read this book, as we read this epistle, I want you to pay attention to how God-centered this epistle is. And pay attention to the prepositions. Yeah, Paul was a word nerd, so celebrate all you other word nerds. He'd love to use prepositions to get us to a person. So let's pay attention as we read. Thank you, Kobe. I'm going to need that in a minute. The book. I know, I'm going to need some refreshment. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 1. This is the Lord's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. 
Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell on your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 
Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, I will tell, you every, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Father, thank you for giving us this letter. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you knew how to inspire the Apostle Paul to write in a way that addressed the Ephesians and all the other churches in the area And now to us, hundreds of years later, we believe that your word has that kind of power and influence. So Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to listen well, to hear, Spirit of God, what you have for us, and that we would walk away knowing we've met with you, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Isn't that good? So good, isn't it? So if, if that was encouraging for you, at the prayer time, every week, starting next week, we're going to read through the entire book of Ephesians. Every time, in a different version. So if you want to come to our prayer time at 9.15 and experience that again, or if you want to do this in your MC, we've done this in our MC, and DNA groups, it's a great practice. Just once in a while, take a whole book, read through the whole thing. It makes my job easier because you've, you've heard everything you need to know. But I'm still going to preach anyway. So. so let me give you three ideas, um, which is really just one idea. What does it look like to, to commit, to be committed to being a God-centered church? So here's the first one. You ready for this? It's really profound. Pursue God. <laughs> Pursue God. Pursue God himself. And I'm using the word pursue intentionally. I'm I'm not saying that God is running away from us and we have to catch him. He is pursuing us. Whenever we pursue God, we find that he's been pursuing us all along. I I use it in a very relational way. When I tell my wife I want to pursue you, it means I want to be with you. I want to enjoy you. I want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to just spend time with you. And that's what I mean when we say we pursue God himself. And so here, here's what's beautiful about the book of Ephesians. If you do a word cloud, you guys remember those word clouds? You do a word cloud of the book of Ephesians. This is what it looks like. And the, the size of the word indicates the, the number of occurrences. So the bigger it is, the more frequently it occurs in the book. So you see what the biggest words are. Christ and Lord and God and Jesus. We'll come back to the, the one in the middle. That's interesting, right? But it, it, as we read the book of Ephesians over and over again... It came back to God himself. And so here, here's what we can miss sometimes in a gospel-centered culture. And, and sometimes I'm almost hesitant to use the word gospel-centered anymore. Because we can miss the fact that at the heart of the gospel is a person. 
that God himself is the good news. It's, it's not good news just that Jesus inaugurated his kingdom. Yes, that's good news. It's good news that Jesus is the king and that he's not a tyrant and a dictator, but a gracious king and he makes a way for us to be in the kingdom. It's not just good news that we're made righteous by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we get his righteousness and he takes our sin and we're adopted into God's family. Yes, that's good news, but it's good news because what God did in the gospel is cleared all the obstacles, our sin, cleared those obstacles so that we could be with him, so we could experience joy and fellowship and delight once more in his presence. The good news of the gospel is not that we get eternal life, but that eternal life is with him. It's not the length of life that makes it good. It's the person we get to spend it with. Heaven will not be heaven if God is not there. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and I'm really passionate about this because I lived for so long being content with all the facts of the gospel being enough. And it's not All of those wonderful theological truths that we love and believe, they're meant to bring us more into fellowship with a person, God himself. And that's why we define disciple first and foremost. We've been using this language for a while now. The disciple is someone who is with Jesus. With Jesus. And then becomes like Jesus and then does what Jesus does. In Acts chapter 4, you remember when the religious leaders were were witnessing Peter and James. They took note, they were amazed that they had been with Jesus. Not that they read the latest gospel-centered book, not that they'd been on Twitter or Facebook a lot, not that they had been reading their theology books, not that they'd been on Facebook, that they'd been on Fox News or CNN. That, that's not what was notable about Peter and James or John. What was notable more than anything else was that they had been with Jesus. That's why we as a church do not exist in this city to make Soma Tacoma famous. That's not what we're about. We exist in this city to make Jesus famous. And even though we have our distinctives, our philosophy of ministry, which we love, that is not why we're here. We're not here to build a brand. We are here to worship a person and to invite other people into that. That's why we say all the time, we just want to be an ordinary church. And let me add to that, we want to be an ordinary church that invites people to experience an extraordinary God. That is why we're here. Our, our goal when we preach is not for people to come up to us and say, that was a great sermon, but we want people when they experience God in this place, when when they hear the preaching of the word, that they meet with Jesus. Like, that's what we want to hear. Oh, I met with Jesus today. That's what we want in our missional communities, in our DNA groups. We want people to, to walk out of those environments and say, through God's people, I got to experience Jesus in a new way. This is why we're so committed to a plurality of leadership and the whole church engaging in ministry because we never want this church to be about one person unless that person is God himself. We want, want to see Jesus manifested through the whole body. And so the, the brand that we're trying to build in this city is Jesus. That's who we want people to see. And that's, that's why we're committed to keep building partnerships in this city, even with people that are not in our tribe. Because we want to see Jesus made famous and we want people to know that the good news of the gospel is Jesus himself being invited in to experience his presence. You notice on the word cloud, that word one tells you something about where our unity should be. What's, what's our rallying point? What, what's the, the thing that we all circle around, the thing that we're concerned about the most, the thing that unifies us? It, it is God himself. It is Jesus. So for this kind of church, for us to be more and more God-centered, it takes more than us as leaders. It takes all of us together. So let me ask you a question.
question, are you pursuing God as a person? Are you pursuing God as a person? Is Jesus just an idea to you? Or is he your king and your friend and your savior? Is the father a vending machine? Or a life raft? Or is he a person that you talk with and that you listen to? Is the Holy Spirit just a, a force in you that you take for granted? Or do you talk to him? Do you, do you commune? Do you fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Are, are we with God enough and in a way that when people meet us, they say, man, they've, you can tell they've been hanging out with Jesus. And, and I, I hope you hear this as an invitation and not condemnation. You can ask my wife this past couple of weeks, there have been several moments where she would say, he has not been with Jesus. My husband has not been with Jesus. And I had to repent and go back and be with Jesus, not because I had to, but because I missed him. I missed being in his presence, and I felt that in my soul. And I realized for the millionth time that God as an idea is never enough. Never enough. He wants us to be with him. And what I long for me and what I long for all of you is that we would believe every day that God has made a way. He has cleared the way for us to be with him and to delight in him as a person. So that's number one, pursue God himself. We're committed to that. But number two, we are committed to pursue all of God. All of God. One of the greatest temptations of the church, the greatest temptations of Christians in any age is to focus on the parts of God that make us comfortable. It's to focus on Jesus and forget to talk about the Father and the Spirit. To focus on the, the attributes of God that make us feel most comfortable and to shy away from the ones that bring fear or mystery or question. And I, and I don't know, I know that some of that, I just want to say this because I know that some of you in your stories, through your parents or through other churches, have experienced the abuse of the attributes of God or some aspect of God in your life, and it's been abused. And so for you, there's an emotional trigger there. There's pain underneath that. And I just want you to know I know that. I hear that. But I also want to invite you into the reality that we just read about in Ephesians. Man, look at, listen to Ephesians, some of these phrases from chapter 1. The Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. In love, the Father predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Verse 8, the Father lavished his grace on us. Verse 9, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 11, the Father works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Verse 13 and 14, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit a deposit guaranteeing our full redemption. Verse 17, the glorious Father has given us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Verse 22, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, to the praise of his glory. So you can tell Paul is just bursting at the seams, right? That, that this God is so amazing, there, there's just no vocabulary to capture the infinite beauty and majesty of God and all that he is and all that he's done. And so when we, when we come to God's word, when we come to, to understand God and pursue him, we want to pursue all of him. We, we need to remember that, that God the Father, yes, he's majestic and transcendent and he's holy and he's infinite and it's, it's impossible to fully understand him, but he's also a father who likes to invite us into his lap and to talk to us, and to love us, and to lavish his grace on us. Jesus is king, powerful warrior, defeating our enemies, but he's also tender and compassionate, the kind of king that likes to take walks in the garden with his daughter and tell him his heart. The Holy Spirit, he's powerful. He, he gives gifts to the church. He, he emboldens us. 
He, he produces miracles so that the world can see and say, what's going on there? But he's also the gentle, compassionate, kind convictor of our souls who comforts and encourages us, who speaks to us in the still, small voice. And so as we pursue God, we want to pursue all of God. And if you were to, to look at the book of Ephesians, you could, I, I told you to listen for the prepositions, right? You could probably summarize Ephesians teaching about God with four prepositions. Everything is from God. Everything is from God. He designed, he planned, he initiated all of redemption. He started his pursuit of us when we weren't pursuing him. He gave us life when we were dead. It is God who started everything. And it is God that will ensure his purposes will be accomplished because he works everything after the counsel, the purpose of his will. But everything is in God, which highlights the, the Son, which highlights Jesus. Because we're in Jesus, because we're connected with Jesus, we experience all the things that the Father has given us. So we're in, we're in Christ, we're abiding in Jesus, and as we abide in Jesus, we get to experience all of these amazing things about God himself. But then everything is through God. It's through him, it's by him, which highlights the Spirit's work. We, we can't do anything without God, without his power working through us. And then for everything is to God, or for God. God does everything for his glory so that people will say, wow, God is amazing. Now, I know you can't reduce God to four prepositions. This is one of a million ways to talk about how extensive, how immense God is. God is like an ocean. It's shallow enough for the kids to play in, but deep enough that you can never fully explore him. And so my invitation to you, family, this morning is, are you pursuing all of God? Are there parts of God's character, parts of the Bible even? This is why we try to preach the, from different places in the Bible here. We try to preach the whole story of God and encourage you as God's family to read the whole Bible. It's so, not just so that we're literate, that's important, but so that we don't have a lopsided view of God. So are there parts of the Bible or parts of God's character that you've neglected or are afraid of or haven't delved into yet? Ask the Spirit to show you what are those areas? What are those parts of God's character that you just have not explored for one reason or another? And ask God to take you by the hand and lead you into those in a healthy, wonderful way to see his majesty and his goodness so we're committed to pursue God himself. We're committed to pursue all of God. But then third, we're we are committed to pursue God in all of life. Pursue God, pursue all of God, pursue all of God in all of life. That's the point of today's message. And I, I mean all of life in two ways. Broadly, in the sense that, that God is the starting point as we deal with every issue in life. And I mean it deeply in the sense that every moment, God wants us to be engaged with him. I, I said in the beginning that we live in a cultural blizzard that is often disorienting and confusing. And the only way that we can helpfully speak into any of the cultural issues that we face is to start with God himself. Ephesians 6 makes it really clear. You can't talk about issues like gender and sexuality and marriage unless you start with the one who created all those things and ask the question, why did he create them? And, and remember that our creator know, knows us better than we know ourselves. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day and just a reminder of how much work there needs to be in this country in the area of racial reconciliation. And Ephesians 2 reminds us that, that we can't speak helpfully into that until we remember that, that we're made in the image of God and that Jesus laid down his privilege and sacrificed on the cross to bring about reconciliation. We, we can't speak helpfully into that issue or, or even be used by God in that unless we start with God himself. Next week is Sanctity of Life Sunday. This whole month is called Sex Trafficking Awareness Month. 
And you can't speak helpfully into those issues unless you start with God himself. You cannot speak helpfully into a million babies aborted, murdered every year, and 400,000 people trafficked every year. We can't begin to help unless we get close to the heart of God and see, yes, that he cherishes and creates life, and that he's also full of grace and kindness. And most importantly, we cannot, as the church, have the needed posture of listening and of compassion and of grace until we have spent time listening to God, being with God, and adopting his heart. It all starts with him. It all starts with him. And God is not just interested in being the center of all the cultural issues we face, but more importantly, he wants to be the center of every moment of our lives, even the seemingly insignificant ones. John Ortberg writes, to know God is to live in a rich, moment-by-moment, gratitude-soaked, participatory life together. That's a great way of describing what we often talk about at SOMA, that all of life is worship. This is what we mean. It means knowing God in a way where we live in a moment-by-moment, gratitude-soaked, participatory life together with him. What we mean by all of life is worship, what we mean by pursuing God in all of life is simply living in the awareness of God's presence in every moment of our existence. And so instead of ending with a question, I want to just give you a couple practical ways to do that. Number one, use prepositions as hooks for worship. So this flows right from the message, okay? There's a dozen ways to to cultivate all of life as worship. Here's just one. Those prepositions from, in, through, to, those are great hooks. When when you're tired and you can't think about how do I engage with God in this moment, that can be really helpful. One, One, just to give you an illustration, I was working on this sermon this week thinking about these these things. Sitting with my daughter at night, I was exhausted, and she was reading me a book on birds and bats and things like that, and I was just like trying to stay awake and trying to engage with my daughter. And so I started thinking about this. I started thinking about those, even those prepositions. I'm like, Lord, thank you that you made all these wonderful, this is from you, God. You made all these amazing creatures that my daughter is reading about. This is incredible. And then I remember that I'm in Christ, which means I, I, I would not have recognized these as gifts from God if I were not in Jesus. I would not see them as God's creative hand in a way to make us be wowed if I weren't in Jesus. And just the kindness of, of God to open my eyes to see that this is more than just the product of evolution. This is more than just cool things in the earth, but this is reflections of God's wisdom and beauty. And then I thought about the through piece. I was like, Lord, please give me strength in this moment, <laughs> not just to sit here and not fall asleep, but actually to engage my daughter in a way that's helpful for her to, to, to show her and remind her where all these things came from and how amazing it was. And, and you can do that as you're drinking a cup of coffee, a, a glass of orange juice as you're driving to work or before a Zoom call. You, you can think through those prepositions that way, and they can be avenues. It's not about the prepositions, right? <laughs> it's about a person. But they can be hooks to remind you of how God in that moment is present with you. Now, if that doesn't resonate with you, and that's distracting or it feels over, overly formulaic, don't, don't use it, okay? The second one might be more helpful. And that's simply to invite God into what you feel. Invite God into what you feel. A, a, a part of living life in a all-of-life-is-worship kind of way is acknowledging that God is present in every one of your emotions, he wants to know how you feel. Like that, that's a real, very relational thing. That's what your, your spouse wants to know. How are you feeling? Not facts. They want to know like, what, what's going on? And so one of the simplest ways to acknowledge the presence of God and to invite him in to the place where you're, you're actually engaged in worship is simply to tell him how you feel. God, I'm sad right now. God, I'm discouraged. God, I'm angry. God, I'm, I'm confused. God, I'm happy. I'll share that with you. I'm excited. I'm hopeful. 
I'm dismayed. God wants to hear that. And, and sharing those emotions with God can be a gateway to amazing worship and a gateway to experiencing aspects of God you've never experienced before. So invite God into what you feel. And then the third one, which isn't on the list, but was illustrated this morning. This book, Every Moment Holy, is an example of a great um, liturgy book to help us. Like that was a, That's something you read as you drink coffee. That was that Theodore read this morning. And there's liturgies in there for changing a diaper, believe it or not. All kinds of everyday moments where you can use a guide to help you engage in those everyday moments of life and worship God. So here's what we're committed to as the family of God. We're committed to pursue God himself, to pursue all of him, and to pursue all of God and all of life. Let's pray that God will do that for us. Father, thank you that there is so much grace for us this morning. Um, we, I know I feel simultaneously right now um, longing for more. Even a little bit of guilt for not experiencing and being with you more. Um, hope that it can change. And for all those things, there's just so much grace from you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that through you we have access to the Father. And even right now, as we're praying, as we're engaging in worship, you, are, you through your blood, are making it all acceptable to God. And thank you, Spirit, that you're at work in our hearts in this place, and that you're real, that you're a person, that we can never exhaust the beauty and treasure that there is in you, God. So take us further in, take us deeper, Lord, we pray. And, and I ask that you would, ask that you would make us more of a God-centered church, and every, everything that we do, we'd think about, what does it look like for God to be the center of this, Lord? Make, make it more so. We aren't there. We want it to be more. We pray these things in Jesus' name.